0: Hello listeners, welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 96. 1996 was a big year for me. That was, that was, a, that was a crazy year. Uh yeah, that was the year of the Cindy Talk tour. Brought Cindy Talk around America. We're a US tour, something like 20 dates. Got to play Princess Club in Minneapolis, West Best Theater, West Best Theater in New York, and Brownies in New York and The Black Cat. A lot of good theaters, a lot of a lot of crazy times. Met Lane Staney at the off ramp in Seattle. Jar no, we didn't actually end up meeting Jarbo. She just kept saying she's gonna come to the show in Atlanta, but she never came anyway 96 that was when I took my first job at Ernst & Young I Lost a lot of money on that tour because I was a poor money manager So I decided it was time to get a real job instead of just working at Mac temps now known as Aquint partners a temping staffing agency founded in cambridge massachusetts on 66 church street in harvard square i was one of the first mac temps it was a great job I made like 40 50 bucks an hour doing powerpoint presentations or pre-press i worked at R donnelly a big printing press i worked at all the big accounting firms ad agencies but in 96 i was like all right it's been fun working two days a week to pay my $200 a month rent and have spending money, but now I need to make some money back and pay the debts off from this tour. I got my first full time job at Ernst & Young in the Hancock Tower. Not my first full time job in my life, but post college, real job in my career uh, in the marketing department. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> Uh, that was a pretty good job had a really good software server got to learn how to use HTML, registered my first domain names, learned how to use Premiere uh, yeah Flash, Future Splash learned that there, yeah, it had a lot going for it, that job, that's where I met John Shu, one of the owners <laughs> this guy worked in IT at, at Ernst Young, amazing guy John Shu. we're still friends and on the side he owned one of Boston's Coolest recording studios. I mean, it wasn't like Ford Apache level cool or New Alliance. I guess I don't even think New Alliance was around yet. But it was pretty cool. Like we I got I eventually went to work for him. The studio moved into Boston. Uh that's not true. I started working for him when the studio was out in Stoughton. But uh we had we had cool artists come through. I mean, more punk rock and ska you know, but the Boston's recorded there, New No Court from Extreme recorded there, a lot of Sam Black church albums, like a lot of the Boston hardcore stuff because we we're a little bit more affordable. Um, yeah, but you know, that was the beginning of my rock and roll career. That job at the studio, we started doing CD manufacturing there. That's how I, why we started a record label because we had access to discount CD manufacturing. Uh, that was a crazy job. I bought an image setter and we did our own pre-press. I learned all pre-press, you know, like old school, like with, toner and developer and chemicals and having like waste management come and pick this stuff up and <laughs> and it was hooked up to like one of those first like uh power pc max the 8600 and it had a it had a hardware rip card a pci slot card it might have even been new bus it might have been pre-pci and you like you know put this ten thousand dollar serial card into your your power pc mac and and then you would hit print, when you would print a postscript, and the postscript would go through the card into this image setter, which was huge. It was like the size of five copy machines. You know, it was like fifteen feet long, and it had like these different buckets that the film would go. It had laser print onto the film, and then it went through these buckets of you know developer, toner, stop bath, and wash, and it printed film for plates for doing printing presses. And uh, when well, then we had a we had a match set machine, so you could see like actual physical proofs off of the film (laughs) I learned how to do all that stuff while simultaneously learning HTML and starting to do websites for these people Uh, but the funnest part was really the CDs themselves it was like you shot film but it was all screen printing right so it was very physical it was more like t-shirts than anything else like you made this film and it was spot colors so like they would do individual passes and you could choose any Pantone color you could choose CMYK but it was really expensive and there's only 80 dpi print so you know CDs like you seek full color CDs but mostly it's one or two or three colors on the disc you know and uh I got really good at that and like the overlap you know like like the knockout and the overlap and the bleed and it was, it was just it was really fun the CDs that had this physicality to that job I really liked how that started that whole journey started in 1996 anyway wow five minute intro on the year well good thing we only have four of those left. <laughs> Before it becomes episode 100 And I won't be able to start the episode by reminiscing about a random day in the 90s anymore Hello, greetings from Chatham County, North Carolina How are you doing? We are doing okay, the weather is lovely It is sunny and rainy in exactly the right amounts That I haven't been having to water the plants But we've been able to go out and walk We had a tropical storm pass through but nothing that bad happened uh Yeah, it's been a good time, mostly. Cases are on the rise again. Uh, We have had more new cases in Chatham County, and I think North Carolina as a whole in July so far than we did in all of June. Delta variant's a thing. Uh, a lot of you don't have kids under 12, so this isn't really something you have to pay attention to anymore because it turns out the Delta variant isn't really that much more lethal. It's just easier to catch, but you're vaccinated, so if you get it, you're going to get a light dose. I actually have had many friends and acquaintances now get catch COVID on the, while vaccinated, and it's almost certainly all because of the Delta variant, but it's fine. I mean, who cares? It's all been very light cases. You don't get hospitalized, so... I mean, you can, it's, it's possible, but, uh, you know, it's pretty unlikely. But if you have a kid under 12, it's, they can't get vaccinated and yeah, it's, uh, it's unlikely they'll get it, but COVID still can be pretty bad for kids. I definitely have friends who have kids that have become COVID long haulers. It's very stressful. So, you know, we're still playing it safe. They say the vaccine is going to come by like November, but that's still like, August, oh, September, October, four months. I really want to go to New York. I fear I missed my window, but Emma said, if I wanted to go, I could. Uh, Were I a lesser man, I would foist my uncertainty and indecision about how to handle this phase of the the pandemic onto my wife and use her and blame her and say, I want to go to New York, but my wife won't let me. But that's not the case at all. She respects my decisions. She would let me do what I needed and wanted to do. I just can't make up my mind. I really would feel terrible if I got my kids sick. Uh, it would probably be fine, but one never knows. Uh, my wife is a very interesting in person because she just refuses to forget things that people desperately want to gloss over, like the fact that like long haul has a lot of unknown situations we don't know about yet and kids do get long haul and stuff like that that I just want to you know, poo-poo. But anyway, most people seem to be pretty chill, but I do feel like there's a lingering sense. People are starting to realize that it's coming back. And nobody's really happy about it. (laughs) They're putting it out of their mind. And I don't blame them. That's what I want to do. I want to go to New York. My friend's coming from Europe. I haven't seen her in like two years. She's like, I'll meet you in September in New York. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to go so bad. (laughs) I want to see my friend Doug. Oh, it's ridiculous. But I will survive. I will survive. Other than that, it's been work, work, work. Not too bad for me, but Emma's been super busy. Uh, and when she's busy, that means more child care for me. Uh, her and Janet had to take an entire day for one of Janet's doctor's appointments. Wasn't anything big deal or, you know, it's not like lethal or anything, not even really a disease, whatever. It doesn't matter. It was not a big deal, but it took all day. And so I had to watch Jane all day, which is totally fine. And Jane was pretty good that day, which is rarity these days, except I had this two thirty meeting and then a three o'clock meeting. So all morning it was fine. And then I was like, she's just going to crack. She's going to crack any minute now. And it's going to be exactly when my meetings (laughs) start." And the first meeting was external. And, you know, but it worked. She just sat on this couch in my office and, like, didn't say a word through the whole meeting. And then the second meeting was internal. And it was like she immediately started making noise. But at least it was only with coworkers at that point, not clients. Right. So, yeah, it's been really busy. But we're good. We're good. I definitely had about a depression in the last two weeks. Uh, Maybe a little pandemic related, maybe a little routine related. Uh, It's kind of I think it's like also like we're all very much emotionally in sync in this house. Like Jane has been sort of learning to express that she's bored and now I've been feeling really bad, like kind of like the badness that parents of teenagers probably felt like last April. Right. Because their kids immediately got bored and stuffed up, cooped up and miserable. But like Jane didn't care for 16 months. But now she's definitely like do something else. And I'm like, I want to do something else. and we could take her and do stuff outside when when I was in Alaska Abby was visiting Emma and Abby took Jane and did some stuff outside but you know Emma's been too busy with work I've got work we only can do it on the weekends it's like it's really been really hot or rainy so it's like you know I don't want to take her outside in the rain or I don't want to take her 100 degrees outside uh so it's just been hard, but she's doing okay, but like she started feeling well uh do something else. And that made me a little sad, and she's been really cranky, and that's been exhausting Emma. So Emma's been a little cranky, and I got a little cranky. We were all in like a cranky spiral for a while there, but I think we're mostly snapped out of it now. I very strongly pressed on Emma that we should consider daycare. She made some very good points of why she doesn't think it'll particularly help. <laughs> I pointed out it would probably still be good. We've still got a little time because we both agree we don't want to do it until she's vaccinated. Uh, Emma's very good. Like I said before, she's very good at remembering things people forget. Like, you know, our child has never been sick. That's because she doesn't go to daycare. <laughs> I was not factoring that in. I was like, oh, God, yeah, good point. A sick kid will be even worse. That might negate any gain from it. You know <laughs> But, yeah, it's been a little rough. Jane has been definitely saying no a lot. She's been very cranky, very, like, stubborn about lunches, and she just wants everything to be different. And it's like, we don't, man, I only got an hour, man. It's my lunch break. I just need to have this food and go back downstairs and go back to work. I'm sorry. In the old days, you wouldn't be seeing me. I wouldn't even be here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So that's a bit hard. (laughs) hard. But one thing that's been really, really nice with her is that in the mornings, I've got this whole routine with her with breakfast. Now that we eat together, we like look at each other. We like sit there and eat our waffles bite for bite at the same time. And we giggle. That's been really good. That's been really good. I feel like I'm teaching her, you know, how to have dinner with, like, a weird date in 30 years or something. (laughs) It's kind of creepy, I guess. I shouldn't say that. But, you know, like, I've never been one for, like, the sensuality of food. But I'm, like, trying to teach her a little bit to, like, take it slow and enjoy her food. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like that's healthy. I I scarf too much. I wish I had learned to eat more slowly. And she's teaching me while I'm teaching her. It's, It's kind of nice. Uh, health. Uh, my weight's terrible. I don't want to think about it. Uh, I got this whole plan. I went to the doctor. I'm gonna go on seven glutide. I think I might have told you guys about this last time. It's this new miracle weight loss shot. I'm gonna do it, and simultaneously doing that, I'm gonna go back on the diet, and I'm gonna get my treadmill all set up so for this winter I don't not exercise. I got a whole plan, uh, but it all starts with a blood test that I have to take while still fasting and so that's this giant nightmare right like I have to like like go to the doctor and get the blood drawn before breakfast which I can't do because they're not open till nine which is when I have to get Jane up And then we get breakfast, and I can't take Jane there. And so it's like this whole thing. So I was like, oh, this is fine. I will do it the day that Janet, mother-in-law, watches Jane. I get my mornings free. And that was today, and I totally forgot because I was so excited I could eat something else for breakfast. I forgot I was supposed to run over to the clinic first, and I just ate. (laughs) So now i got to wait another week which is very frustrating because I'm running out of things to look forward to in my life and I need a new project. And so like, that's going to be my new project. And I remember I was happier when I was losing weight. So I just need to get back on it. I am getting exercise. I mean, not a lot, but we go for a walk every day. There's a very steep Hill. I do some like exercise, but like, you know, I need to, I need to take it up a notch. I need to eat better. I need to cut out the nighttime snacks and I need to like diet and I'm going to add this drug onto it. And like, I think it'll be great. Because I always feel better when I'm losing weight, and I always get more depressed when I'm gaining weight or staying the same weight. So it's time to fix it. But I forgot, so now I have to wait another week, which I guess is a thing to look forward to. I don't know. I just can't forget. I'm also forgetting to call my mom a lot, which is really frustrating. I was really good about it all year, for a year. And then I went to, and then she came here, and then she left, and I was still good about it. Then I went to see her, and everything was great, and then I just haven't been calling her since I left. <laughs> it's like not cool, Rick. Not cool. So I'm gonna work on that. Uh, yeah, let's see what else. Uh, work Work's doing pretty well. Uh, it's a little stressful. Beginning a new quarter, beginning of the summer quarter, is the slowest time in programmatic advertising. So our revenue is a little bit down, compounded by the Apple stuff because Apple sucks, and they decided that small independent publishers like us, even though they don't do anything wrong, don't deserve to make any money. Thank you, Apple. That's not monopolistic at all. Whatever. We've talked about that enough. Uh, it's bouncing back a little bit, which is good. We've made some new hires, which is good. Of course, we have a second line of revenue with our Nimbus product, which has been doing pretty well. A little bit of a few, a few little weird hiccups there, but it's going okay. Uh, the, the big secret projects are all doing pretty well. So, yeah, all in all, it's going well. Uh, you know, I, did, I did, did, did a lot of cool stuff for work, you know? like um, Some weeks work can be really in the weeds, Like we're just executing and I'm not the executor. I'm not a coder. I'm not a designer. I'm not a UX guy. I have work to do in those periods, right? Like I have a lot of like patent and trademark maintenance shit to do with lawyers or banking stuff, you know, but uh, and then some weeks they're like, you know, we need a project charter for this big initiative or we need to do a company presentation on where our strategy is. Or you need to outline the strategy to the lawyers to make sure that everything is kosher on, from a legal standpoint. And then I have to write these long documents about the big picture of the company. And I love doing that so much more. It's so much more rewarding. And so I've had, I got to do three of those for three different things this week. So or the last two weeks since I've talked to you guys last So that's been nice. It reminds me that things are doing pretty well and that we're on a good path, so I've been enjoying that. Gardening has been abysmal. I've been really depressed about it. I haven't made a gardening video in three weeks. Uh, I got back from Alaska, and like I told you guys, uh, half the shit had been eaten. Now the the squirrels are eating my tomatoes. It's really bad. But uh, So what I decided, I was just going to mentally take a break, and then I was going to regroup, and this weekend, I am going to... Tackle it again with a aplomb. This is probably another reason I've been depressed. I haven't been out in the garden as much, which is both A, exercise, B, outdoors, C, getting shit done. All those things make me feel better. I wasn't doing it. But uh, the Farmer's Almanac says this week is the week I can start planting some of my fall crops, beans, radishes, beets, uh, brassicas. So I'm going to start tearing up the pots of things that have been decimated by the deer and the squirrels. I'm going to plant new seeds. I've got all these nice new squirrel and deer protection mechanisms you know like uh grates that go over whiskey barrels and 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 netting that goes over tomato plants and all that sort of shit and i'm going to start putting all that out and i'm just going to start anew and hopefully things will go okay because i mean you know i'm trying to be fair like my pumpkins are not my pumpkins my watermelons are doing well my fennel's doing well. My basil is doing fantastic. My peppers are doing pretty well despite having a bunch of their leaves eaten off. Uh my loofahs are doing well. A lot of it's doing well, but like I have some fundamental failures that are just killing me. Specifically, like the squirrels are stealing almost all my tomatoes, and I'm growing a ton of tomatoes, and they're stealing most of them. I'm getting enough to like live, but I should have like five times as many, and it's very frustrating. And they have eaten. Oh, the potatoes are doing well. That's cool. Um, they ate all the beets, they ate all the beans, they ate all the strawberries, they ate all the cauliflower, all the broccoli, they ate all the lettuce, they ate all the <laughs> bok choy. They ate. I have one nap of cabbage left, and <laughs> they just fucking ate it all, man. <laughs> it's really bad. And I told myself at the beginning of the year that any gardening down on the, on the patio, on the, on the ground, was going to be an experiment because the animals might eat it. But they didn't eat it for the first several months, and so I got lulled into a false sense of security, and then all of a sudden they started eating it all. So that really screwed me. But now I'm ready. I'm ready. Today is the day that I go out there and I start anew. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, Yeah. So that's where we are with gardening. And then we got the studio reorg. So that was the big thing. I did it last weekend, two weekends ago. I, 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 I yes. Right. Okay. I last spoke to you guys right before I did it. I finished my podcast two weeks ago and I started rearranging the studio and it's done. It took a lot of work. It was really hard. But it's done, and it's it's not completely done, but the hard part's done. I have completely rearranged things. All my record crates are now back up on the top of the counters, and they are all easily accessible. I've reclaimed the other third of the room that was kind of poorly organized before. I thought it would be separate area, activity area for something else. It ended up not working. It's all much more open again now. And I can walk around and, like, I can just get to all my records. Uh, I need a couple more record crates. It's this whole fucking thing. Like, I used to get them Disc Keeper. This company, Disc Keeper, used to make these standardized wooden record crates. And nobody makes them anymore. I mean, people do, but everything's slightly different about them. Today, just today, I found one on, on Amazon that said it was the same dimensions. It looked like it was the same thing. It was pretty cheap, too. It was only, like, 25 bucks. And I got it sent here, and it's not the same dimensions, and it has like a carved, laser-etched record on the front of it, which doesn't work for me because I put my record stickers on the front of them. Uh, So then the only other place I can find that makes anything that looks right is on Etsy, and I bought three from this guy on Etsy. They're so expensive. They're like 60 bucks each because they're handmade by some random dude in Oregon, and then you have to ship here, and it's going to take like three weeks, and it was like so much money with shipping. The Amazon one was free shipping, so I was really hoping the Amazon one was going to work. I just found out right before this podcast that it won't work, so I need three more of these record crates. But other than that, everything's going great. Uh, The other, as I, you know, I finally got the, like, the main organization done. Like, uh, I used to have this big sort of table that went into the center of the room, and it's pretty cool. I had a work table right there, and I missed that. I'm working on that but it cut off a big part of the room. So I got rid of it and then I was like, okay, well I need to rearrange things. I still have all the stuff. I have a couch and a table and a chair and a Farfisa, you know, like a rolling flat file that uses functions as a coffee table. I don't know where to put it. I could never find out a a layout I liked. And then I had this epiphany and I got it all laid out the way I like. It's at an angle and it's just great. I love it. And, uh, it's sort of nicely modular. i got rid of one of my big carpets. Um, I have these beautiful ceramic floors I splurged on when we first bought the house, but they're covered up with these large oriental rugs that had come from the basement of my old co working space in Brooklyn. And I got rid of one of them. And so all the furniture can slide around. It's all either on wheels or on furniture sliders. So I kept moving it around until I found a, an organization I liked. And I really like it. It's at an angle. Though the other problem is that there's this pole in the middle of the room that really fucks it up and makes it very hard to organize, to lay things out because you got this pole in the middle of the room, right? But I got, I solved it. I got, I got a layout I love. And the layout is kind of modular. So when I'm I'm ordering a new workbench soon and I can just sort of sit it, I'm pretty sure I can fit it right into this layout without like compromising the master layout situation. I don't know. And I think I can fit a treadmill there as I, you you know, I can sort of like add things and subtract things. I got this Crystal Castles vintage tabletop arcade game. I love it, but it doesn't work right now. But I got a, that's a thing that happened. Uh, I told you guys about that. We went to the neighbor's house. Whatever. One of my neighbors is friends with a guy that could probably get this video game fixed, so that's cool, I'll get it fixed, I am probably, then I'll probably just sell it, right, I kind of love it though, I don't know, it's, I'm torn, uh, anyway, I should have talked to Carrie Hillard about that when I saw her in Alaska, because she and I used to play Crystal Castles all the time as kids, yeah, I'll mention it to her, um, where was I going with this, oh yeah, so anyway, the treadmill and the workbench still have to come into the room, But I can get rid of the Crystal Castles machine. I think it'll all fit. Uh, So I'm thinking of doing like those paper layouts, like just making big pieces of paper the the size of the things on the floor and moving things around. I don't know. That stuff is all sort of gravy. The main layout is awesome now and I'm super into it. (laughs) It's just the best. So yeah, rock and roll. I'm very happy. But that means that I don't have a project to look forward to again, which is a bummer. Uh, (laughs) on the writing front kind of the same thing Uh, I've been working with this guy in Japan to make a Japanese translation of the Trek book and I've been kind of being an idiot about it I'm not sure why you know like uh, he's been very helpful and educational and he taught me all about sort of like Japanese versus Chinese fonts and I was using the wrong fonts in the book we did a font test he picked a font I thought I changed the whole book to the right font I sent him a PDF proof he's like look this isn't the right font and then he was like do you want me to just do this for you and I was like yes I do But, you know, the reason I didn't have him do it for me to begin with is because I wrote this thing in Scrivener and Scrivener is kind of a specialized piece of software. And also, like, I've been through the Kindle publishing process and it's a little bit wonky. Uh, But he said he's been learning the Kindle publishing process and I and I was like, well, cool. And I told him about Scrivener and he said he would be willing to try and learn it. It's not that hard if all, all you're doing is hitting the compile menu. Right. He doesn't have to learn about a lot about the whole rest of the software. But also so I sent him the Scrivener file and I exported a word file. And he's going to work on it now instead of me, which is great because I was not doing a good job at all. And the project's been lingering for like a year now. I mean, COVID was a big part of that, obviously. But uh, I'm just so excited that he's just taking it on. It's like I'm a real author <laughs> or somebody else does your translations for you. I mean, he already translated the whole book. This guy's done so much work. It's amazing. It's uh- <laughs> amazing so that's off my plate which I think I mean maybe he will come back to me and say can you do this but I just handed it off to him like a couple days ago it's been even before that it's kind of great I wasn't being super productive on it because there's this giant time zone difference and we're trying to fix the font so it'd be like okay how's this send him the file wait 24 hours get an answer uh nope that didn't work can you try this okay how's this send him the file wait 24 hours but (laughs) so I don't really blame him finally it's like why don't I just do it I feel bad but I'm also very thankful. Additionally, uh, another thing I did since I talked to you guys last is I have arranged for my friend Lisa, who's just one of my idols. She's an amazing woman, and uh, I've known her for about 20 years. She's an author. She's an editor. She's an artist. She's amazing. Uh, She has agreed to edit the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You manuscript, quote-unquote, down to a book. So, you know, as you know, I've been writing these daily emails. They started out as Facebook posts. Now they're in face, on Facebook, but also an email for You can subscribe to them. It's pretty good. I don't know, like 500 people read them. It's not a lot, but it's a lot, <laughs> right? <laughs> not right? I mean, it's a lot. Um, it's not a lot by like, literary star standards, but it's enough for me. I'm very happy about it because really writing is therapy for me, and you need an audience, and you only need an audience of a few people, so like, that's a great audience. I'm very excited about it. Anyway, I've always kind of, many of them have been telling me, and I've always kind of been thinking the whole time that they make a great book, but there's all these logistical problems like, it's way too long, I wrote 500,000 words since the pandemic started, a book at longest is half that long, shortest is one-tenth that long, there's a lot of cutting to do, I'm I'm not a good editor, I don't like being my own editor, I like being a writer. So I kind of struck this deal with her. She lives a pretty vagabond life. She spent a long time in Botswana, and now she's heading off to Paris. She's always a little tight on money. She, you know, all her books are like me. She does occasionally have a publisher, but a lot of her books are self-published. Uh, she's got a bigger fan base than me, but not like a, I can easily live off of this kind of thing, you know. So I kind of knew we were going to be doing each other sort of a favor here. I, I was like, you just name your price, and you take as long as you want. I recognize it's a big job, but I also know your lifestyle is, like, pretty affordable, and this could be a good thing for you if you're into it. I was kind of, I don't know, I was a little worried she wasn't going to be into it, but she's super into it, and I was like, just cut it to any, like, book length, use whatever point of view you want, like, just take the stuff you think is most interesting, and that'll be the book. And I'm very excited. So it's kind of a collaboration in that way, like with an editor that I haven't had since Agency. I had a good editor on Agency. That was a great collaboration. But the other books since then, and just oh, well, actually, Lisa edited the Trek book too. So that was good. Uh, she was very helpful on that. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, God knows how long it's going to take. Uh, she's you know traveling, doing a lot of crazy stuff out in Europe, but also just it's so immensely long. And I was like, really, the MO is like read through it once, which would take forever. It's fucking like Game of Thrones long, right? And then develop a point of view, then just go through mercilessly with a hatchet (laughs) and then cut out like 50 to 70% of it. And then, you know, one more pass for copy editing. And hopefully it's not too, too bad. uh, And I don't know how long it'll take, but eventually there will be a book of the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You Chronicles. Oh boy, I gotta stop for a moment, uh, my PS5 alert has gone off, hold please. Oh well, that didn't work, I've been trying to buy a PS5, mainly because I have nothing to look forward to in life now that I've gone to Alaska and I've gone to Boston and I've rearranged my office and my book projects are in the hands of other people and I'm kind of depressed and I was like, I will solve this problem with capitalism, especially unobtainable capitalism. So I've been following all these, like, Twitter alerts and stuff, and they tell you when there's PS5s in stock, and they, I have, like, the alert set up on my phone, and follow this guy, Matt Swider. My friend told me they got a PS5 by following this guy, but I've been trying for, like, a week and a half now, and I have not succeeded. That one was from Ant Online. That's the second time I've done that one. I've got it into my cart at checkout. One time I even double-clicked on on Apple Pay, and, and they are like, nope, we don't have any. Uh, it's pretty frustrating. They have a double layered recapture, and it's about this one was about trucks, and they're like, click on all the trucks, and there's a bus, and I'm like, is it truck? Is it bus a truck? I don't know. Is a bus a truck? Ah! And I passed the caption. I got to my cart, and they're like, it's no longer available, and I'm like, oh well. I don't even really want a PS Five. I just want a PS Five. It's not really rational. Like, I have a dream that I could drop out of society without guilt and just play video games forever. Uh, but. I will never do it because I have a child and a job and employees and responsibilities and a wife and family. But I feel like you know I should have the PS Five handy just in case. <laughs> but it didn't work. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yesterday was GameStop. I don't want to pay for GameStop Pro. They tend to just do their pre-sales just for GameStop Pro. So that didn't work. Sony one I didn't get. Best Buy I didn't get It's very frustrating. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's not working. Anyway, in my notes for this episode, well, it's already been 30 minutes, and I listened to a ton of records this week. This is going to be a long one. Uh, at this point in my notes, it says, now I am empty. <laughs> I really need a new project to latch on to. I don't know. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm working on it. Maybe I'll start the book again. I don't know. I don't know. I did write a whole book. That's pretty cool. (laughs) I think it's pretty good, too. I never really thought I'd be a memoir diarist. I mean, not a public one. I've been a private one my whole life, but uh, I guess that happened, so that's kind of fun. Anyway, moving on to the media report. There's only two editions to Plex this week. Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, the Jim Jarmusch film starring Forrest Whitaker with a soundtrack by The RZA. I saw that film in the theater. I really enjoyed it uh and the swan's documentary where does body end uh you may recall several months ago i watched the swan's documentary where did the body end i was really into it it put me on a swan's kick I was like i need to buy all the records i don't own i own about half the swan's records on vinyl luckily the harder to obtain older rarer ones because i was into the swans before cds came out then once cds came out i started buying them on cds so i needed to buy some of those on vinyl um most of them, he's been reissued. Luckily, I already own the hardest to find ones, White, my, my, White Light from the Mouth of Infinity and Love of Life. I already own those in vinyl. Anyway, in that process, Michael Girard is being very good about reissuing a lot of these Swans records, so I made a big order directly for Michael Girard. I've done this in the past. I've backed his Kickstarters. My name is in Swans' album. I have a Michael Girard piece of art on my wall. Uh, But I also ordered the Blu-ray of the movie, so it just showed up, and I ripped it, uh, mainly for the extra content, and I wanted to support him, so I did. Uh, And the extra content really hit the mark for me, if you recall. When a movie came out and my long review of it, I was somewhat disappointed with the lack of material from Love of Life, (laughs) specifically the song Her, And there was a whole section about the song "Her" that had was cut from the movie that he talked about in an interview, and it's about you know the audio of him and Jarboe, or of Jarboe as a kid, uh, is great. And so yeah, I mean like oh, and "Level" tears apart their Joy Division cover. They cut out most of that in the movie as well, but there's a whole section, uh, extra footage about that in the. Uh. Extra bonus footage. <laughs> the one thing there was not that I was a little surprised was there wasn't a passage on either the movie or the bonus content about the song uh, You See Through Me from Drainland, which is audio of him fighting. And maybe that wasn't the movie, and maybe I just blacked out about it. Anyway, the extra content is great. There's a lot of extra interviews. There's a substantial amount of live footage, both old and new. I mean, from the Brooklyn Last Swans show, there's some really good Angels of Light live footage, and there's some really good early Swans footage. So if you're into the Swans, there is a lot more on the Where Does Body End Plex upload in my Plex. Yes, right, that. discog sold three CDs. Don Lennon. Don Lennon. Don Lennon is a formerly Boston-based, now New York-based singer-songwriter of sensitive, tender, yet comedic songs. He is amazing. He's an old friend of mine his first album was called maniac and, uh, it was mastered at that recording studio. I was telling you about that. I used to work at and we manufactured the CDs. Uh, he had a falling out with another friend of mine and I, he and I never had a falling out and his girlfriend had a falling out with another friend of mine. I don't know. There's some complicated drama. I wasn't really involved with. He moved to New York. We don't see each other a lot, but I have always stayed up with his music. I've been buying us all his albums. He also has an alter ego named Martin Phillip, uh, that's more synth-pop based and he's got like five, six albums. He came out, eventually he he got kind of, not big, but he he got distributed and released by Secretly Canadian. I have a strong suspicion our friend Mike Anderson introduced him to Secretly Canadian. Mike Anderson was a big Don Lennon fan and right, Boston guy and for a while worked at Secretly Canadian. Uh Anyway, yeah, I sold two of his records. I have multiple copies because <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> So, yeah, always always happy to see hear from another Don Lennon fan. And then I sold the Reach the Rock soundtrack, uh, which was a film by that guy, that 80s director, John Hughes. Is that right? John Hughes? Yeah, Breakfast Club, all that stuff, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink. Uh, he did this film called Reach the Rock. Nobody really knew about it. And the soundtrack was by John McIntyre of Tortoise. And I discovered this in the early 90s. And I was like, I need that soundtrack. And I got that soundtrack. And it's really good. And then somebody just bought it for me at the end. That's the whole story. I was going to listen to it again, and I didn't. I think I will. Uh vinyl. So I don't know why exactly so much vinyl arrived in the last 2 weeks. I definitely made a few impulse purchases of a lot of stuff, but also a lot of things that had been backordered for a very long time finally arrived, like maybe the plants are clearing out their their backlog or something, but uh <laughs> 25 pieces of vinyl in two weeks. That's an average of two a day. That is not healthy. <laughs> it has already slowed down. I got one. Uh, okay, I got three records today. One order today, but that's been the first one in like five days. It's slowing down. I, I don't know what happened. It's just a lot. <laughs> it's really- a lot of it was one big order, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, uh, Sturgill Simpson, Cutting Grass Volume 2, finally got released in vinyl, and that arrived. Uh, it's way better than Cutting Grass Volume 1. I did not really like Cutting Grass Volume 1. It was a little bit too bluegrass for me. And I was not sure if I was to give it a buy Volume 2, but Volume 2 is awesome, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then, so this band, Swell, I think I've talked about them before. Yes, I did, because I got one of their old records recently. San Francisco-based, uh, mellow Stoner Rock, but kind of minimalist. Minimalist, Not like Stoner Rock, like Jack Johnson's Stoner Rock, like uh, bong water on Quaaludes. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Very mellow. Uh, I love them. I saw them first in 1992. They played in TT the Bears with His Name is Alive and uh, Difference Engine, a local band, became friends with. And then I saw them one more time. My friend Andy reminded me at Bill's Bar where they played with Trouble Charger. But I've just loved them since the 90s, and uh, their records are hard to find. I had three of them. They put out like eight albums, and uh, I had, I've had i had two for a long time, and I did bought one a couple months ago and talked about it with you guys. And then uh, their band camp just kind of sprang alive like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and all their albums had new editions put out by the band on 180-gram lathe-cut vinyl, just beautiful pressings, all straight from the band. They are expensive, but they are just wonderful. And I bought all the ones I didn't have. <laughs> which was one, two, three, four, five records I bought from this band. <laughs> and I've listened to them all, and I just love, I love that band so much. So I bought Well and For All the Beautiful People and South, South of the Rain and Snow and Too Many Days Without Thinking. That's probably my favorite Swell album. And Everybody Wants to Know, which is a Swell album I'd never heard of. So that was exciting. Love swell. Uh, Then I did an order directly from Lowe because they have this really beautiful Great Destroyer 10th anniversary poster. That might not be right. Let me go look. It was Things We Lost in the Fire, and it was a 20th anniversary poster, lithograph, beautiful, uh, uncoated black paper, silk screening on top of it. Just gorgeous. I really wanted it. So I got that, and then when I was on the site, I was like, oh, Black Eyed Snakes. Do you guys know about Black Eyed Snakes? Black Eyed Snakes are awesome. They are Alan Sparhawk's blues band. (laughs) They're not really a blues band. They're kind of a blues band. They're like Mississippi Delta Fuzz Noise blues band, Captain Memphis style. Uh, And I had all their albums back in the day, and... Not and, but they were on CD, so they've been slowly disappearing from my collection as people have been buying them. But also, I just want them on vinyl. Uh, he had one for vinyl, I think there's four Black Eyed Snakes albums, there's one for vinyl on in the site, so I got that. It's called Seven Horses, it's awesome. I love the Black Eyed Snakes. There is an album or two on Spotify if you want to check them out. Big fan. So then, this guy on Discogs. So I'm doing this thing. I th- I've think i told you about it. Uh, every day I check my Discogs want list, new releases for sale on Discogs uh, that are on my want list, sorted by lowest price available in America, right? And most days I don't buy anything from it, but every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, okay, it's $2 for that copy and it's only $4 shipping. Yeah, I'll grab it. Uh, so I did that with this guy, but he had like six things on my want list. They're all really cheap. Uh, and then I started poking through and there's a bunch more he actually had. So I ended up buying one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven records from this guy. Virtually all twelve-inch singles, uh, except for one, uh, two, arguably depends. And uh, yeah, it was very exciting. And because the shipping for the whole order was like eleven bucks, each of the records was like four bucks. So I mean, the whole order was like fifty dollars for like ten records. It was a pretty good deal anyway i got uh the talk talk mini lp their first mini lp the one with the song talk talk on it i'm not a huge fan of really talk talk compared to late period talk talk which i completely obsessed with but uh you know what the rest of talk talks early stuff is actually pretty good i was very impressed with that mini lp and then i got three talk talk 12 inches i uh have all the albums of vinyl uh but not that first one which now i gotta get but i have all the other ones so I was like, yeah, but I want these 12 inches. So I got the Dumb Dumb Girl 12-inch, The Life is What You Make at 12-inch, and My Foolish Friend 12-inch, and they all have B-sides. <laughs> they have put out a CD of B-sides, uh, but it's not on Spotify. So I was very excited to like hear some of these B-sides I'd never heard before, which, you know, I mean, in the year 2021, you get to hear a new Talk Talk song. That's pretty exciting. Uh, I bought the Renegade Soundwaves, Biting My Nails, 12-inch. I have a soft spot for Renegade Soundwave because they were one of the first bands I saw in 120 Minutes in 1988 or 9 or something like that. And I saw them live once in the early 90s at Axis in Boston. They're great. Uh, so I got that. I just think it's hilarious. There's a song about biting your nails. <laughs> biting my nails. Uh, and I got four Jesus and Mary Chain 12 inches that I did not own. Or I, more accurately, I owned a lot of these on CD already, but not on vinyl. I got the Happy When It Rains 10 inch. I'm very excited. I've been looking for that for like 20 years. Not looking for it. I just never got around to buying it. I got the blues from a gun 12 inch, used to have that on CD single. That sold. I got the roller coaster EP, same thing, had that on CD single. And I got the Surfing USA Summer Mix 7 Inch, which I never owned. So that was very exciting. Uh, I got the Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machines album, 1992, the love album, because I love Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine. I was completely into them with my college girlfriend. We would go see them and hold hands, and it was just lovely. And then we'd mosh in the mosh pit, because there was a mosh pit, the Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine shows in Boston in the 90s. (laughs) And I've become re-obsessed with the song, The Only Living Boy in New Cross, which is a great song. Uh, Yeah, so I got that. I got the Ned's Atomic Dustbin cut up 12, or no, I'm sorry, the Not, Not Sleeping Around 12 Inch. Uh, I also love Ned's Atomic Dustbin in the early 90s. I stand by them. They're a great band. Uh, Not Sleeping Around is from their last album that I was really into. But uh, more to the point, I had that on CD single, but more to the point, the B side is a new version of cut up, which is a song from their big album. Godfather. So you know that they're cut up dun, 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 So put it up or shut up. Ooh. Anyway. Um, but the version on this, on the not sleeping around single is called the tartan shoulders mix. It's called a mix, but it's not a mix. It's a whole different version and it's a string quartet doing a Ned song. And I've loved it ever since the single came out. I listened to it a lot. <laughs> So I wanted to own it on vinyl. So I got that on vinyl for like three bucks. That was very exciting. So that was that whole, all of that I got from one guy. In addition to that, I ordered uh, the medication 12-inch by Spiritualized from this guy. Uh, But it was very profoundly warped. And it, uh, it was weird. You can't see the warping. You have to play the record. The record looks pristine. So I don't blame the guy. And I wrote to him. And we worked it out. And he's giving me a partial refund. It's all good. And I do technically already own that record. I own it test pressing of the medication 12 inch it's signed by jason pierce it's on my wall <laughs> so i you know it doesn't i don't know if it counts as new vinyl or not because i already owned it but uh, i got that too uh the new order box set of the new live album live at alexandria place so that i ordered like i don't know last september shipped <laughs> it's called Education, Entertainment, Recreation. It's a 3LP set. This is the third one of these vastly expensive 3LP live sets they've foisted upon me in the last decade or so. But that's cool. I'll keep buying them. New Order needs money too, man. And it's nice. Uh, their packaging little gone a little too minimalist for my liking. They need a new graphic design style. I think them and Peter Seville need a wake-up. They need a... Shaka uh, Shakabuka, I think it was called and Gross point blank a swift sp- spiritual kick to the head <laughs> uh, yeah and then uh, let's see the Dune original soundtrack by Toto shipped finally or did that last fall from Vinyl Me Please they had been sending updates saying it was delayed but that finally showed up it was pretty exciting although it turned out I already owned the Dune original soundtrack on a really beat up 80s 90s copy so now I own two copies of the Dune soundtrack on vinyl uh and then just this morning three records showed up that i had ordered uh the arms of someone new talked about them a lot uh their first mini album their first piece of vinyl they ever put out called burying the carnival just finished listening to it right before this podcast really enjoyed it very goth 80s goth a little bit more guitar less ambient than their later stuff that band is just underrated man stand by them till the end of time uh fuchsia f-u-x-a they were a Detroit space rock band. Uh, I was very into Detroit space rock in the mid nineties. Uh, I knew Fuchsia a little bit. Ryan Ry- Randall Ryan, Ryan from Fuchsia and I got to be pretty good friends. We wrote a lot. I did a little bit of work for his zine mass transfer. Uh, Randall from Fuchsia went on to join Spectrum uh, Sonic Boom from Spaceman 3's band. Uh, he and I like didn't stay in touch and I remember one time I went to see Sonic Boom Spectrum play at Mercury Lounge and there was Randall on stage <laughs> I was like, oh dude, cool Uh, yeah, those guys they really got to be space rock royalty it was pretty cool, they like flew to London and they had like a bunch of people from Loop and Spiritualized be their backing band on their first tour of England, and it's like awesome I'm just jealous, Uh, anyway I, I own this album, I own all the future stuff uh, but this one I never owned on vinyl and so I just got it for pretty cheap and that guy that i bought those two from also had a affordable copy i won't say cheap it's like 25 bucks of lou reed's album new york a non-21st century pressing one of the original pressings uh it's a little beat up but that's what i wanted i wanted like an old beat up but playable copy of new york by lou reed and i didn't want to spend like 50 bucks on a record stair day edition or something and i got one and i'm very excited because i fucking love that album so much So that's all the vinyl that arrived. That's it. And that's all the vinyl, man. Not that bad. Only 25 pieces in 14 days. My wife is very upset with me <laughs> she's just like shakes her head she's like what are you doing man uh i mean i can afford it i'm not spending like hundreds of dollars on these re- i mean collectively i am but I'm you know i'm not buying like an individual record for 100 bucks i'm looking for bargains you know and i find bargains and i like bargains but <laughs> but it's bad uh, and this whole layout this whole new layout has room for three more record crates before the layout breaks and I did the math and I've, I'm already overflowing by about one record crate. So I've got about two record crates. And if I buy at that rate, I will fill it up in about two months, which is not good. So I need to slow way down because I need it to last at least a year. So hopefully I'm going to slow down on my vinyl buying soon. We shall see. Uh, CD, I got one new CD because when I bought all those Swell records, the guys from Swell sent me a Be My Weapon CD, which was their band after Swell, so that came, it was from March 2009, uh, great record, sounds like Swell, big fan, there's a bunch of Be My Weapon on Spotify, I've been listening to that as well, and then the albums I listened to this week, uh, medium length, we'll, we'll kind of rush through these, uh, I listened to the Rizz's Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, oh wait, uh, this is a lie actually, oh no, I told you about this last time, I bought, this came in the mail two weeks ago and I finally listened to it, so I listened to it. Since the last podcast, but I had already heard it before. So the Ghost Dog soundtrack by the RZA. This guy, Entrance. Pretty sure I didn't talk about this. Uh, ATP, All Tomorrow's Party is a music festival. Um, big fan, used to go all the time. I've been thinking about it a lot lately because my friend Gareth sent me this oral history of it. And it got me thinking about this guy I met at the Slint ATP. I went to that with my friend Og and my friend Ben. Uh, and Ben brought some friends of his this guy Dudley from the Dudley Corporation used to be in Pinback and uh, we met this guy named what I he's a folk singer from America and we thought his name was Entrance but it's just occurred to me that it it was probably Entrance (laughs) Cause that's such a better name. And I never really realized back then. And we hung out with him. And then he played. I don't think he played ATP. I mean, he played in London later that week and we saw him in London. And he's just a cool, dude. Never stayed in touch or anything, but I really liked him. And I was like, I wonder what's up with that guy. Uh, and I looked and he had a couple new albums, 21st century records. One was like only like a couple years ago. And they're really good. So let's call him Entrance instead of Entrance. And I listened to Book of Changes and Promises, and I really enjoyed them. And he's very smart. He's like a smart man's underground version of Father John Misty. Probably better. Very into it. Uh, let's see. He's talking to my friend Aaron Perino a lot in the last two weeks. Uh, old Barbarian, best known as the mastermind between two great legendary Boston bands, uh, The Sheila Divine and uh, Dear Leader. And he and I were chatting a lot uh, about, you know, general middle life crises and male on, on, uh, malaise and whatnot. Uh, but he uh, just played last week. And I was so jealous. I wanted to go the reopening show for the Sinclair, which is a fantastic Boston venue, relatively new Boston venue, but just great, well run, great sound. And he played the kickoff show of their new live world that may or may not last, depending on how the Delta variant goes. But he got to play a show. Uh, And I really wanted to go. I was so desperate. And it was the same night as my friend Sean's birthday. It would have been a great weekend to go. And Emma was like, you can go. And I was just like, I can't. I'm not going to do it. And it was a bummer. But uh, he sent me his new solo album that um, I just read an interview. And he did say that these people are on it. So I think I'm allowed to talk about it. It, I don't think it's out yet, though. But uh, I read an interview and he mentioned it. And he did it with Tanya Donnelly, Donnelly, a lot of it. And then some other, like uh, the, the guy from Tugboat, which is another great Boston band. Uh, and it's called Aaron and the Warlord, I think. Uh, it, it's a little hard to figure out exactly what it's called, <laughs> so we'll leave that up to the unknown. But uh, the new Aaron Perino solo album is great. I loved it. I'm very excited about it. Uh, I strong recommend when it comes out, you should pick it up. I'm definitely hoping, hoping he cranks out that on vinyl on his band camp, like he did the last Sheila Divine record. Uh Yeah, Six Organs of Admittance have a new record. I fucking love that guy. Ben Chesney, uh, The Last Station Veiled. See, it's called. It's way wanky guitar, but it's awesome. It's electric guitar, pretty much the whole thing. He's sort of not doing his Ben Fahey or John Fahey thing right now. Uh, But it's great. The new Six Organs of Admittance. Very, very into it. Uh, Faye Webster didn't know a lot about her read a pitch review she's from Atlanta and it's called I know I'm funny haha ha. it's very it's a great record it's hilarious she's right she's funny it's mellow it's smooth it's like uh if Jimmy Buffett were reincarnated in an Instagram era girl she's young but I think she's a woman but whatever like young woman That has a sense of humor. (laughs) Listen to the new Marina album as in ex Marina and the Diamonds. Now she's just Marina. The album is called ancient dreams and modern land. It was very political, which I liked, but it was a little too busy and I didn't really love the record. There's a couple songs I liked, but I didn't like it as much as the old uh, Marina and the Diamonds. Lyrically, it's a vast improvement. Like the lyrics on this album is way better than like, give me one more time. But the music of the older stuff I liked more. Uh Murder of Crows. So, yeah, as we know, I was uh getting into Alan Sparhawk's side projects again, Black Eyed Snakes, and I discovered yet another side project of Alan Sparhawk's. Uh, it's a collaboration with a woman who does, I think she's a violinist, and it's called Murder of Crows. The album is called Imperfecta. It's mostly instrumental except for one weird song that has a lot of bird stuff on it. <laughs> Lone Lady, Former Things. Why did I get into Lone Lady? There's a story here, but I don't remember it, but it's a great record. Oh, right, yeah, okay, Lady, I remember now. She is this woman, young, from Manchester, England, who has been making Manchester, England-type post-punk music, and everybody's been going gaga for it for quite a while now. Her debut album was in 2010. Her last album was like four years ago, and Bobby Gillespie of Primal Screen called it the best album ever. I learned about her only a little while ago, so I added all the singles, and then this new album came out, and it's really good. She's awesome. If you're into the Manchester thing, check out Lone Lady. SALT, S A U L T 9. Uh this band is has been a big, a big enigma to me, but I've been really into them for about four albums now. I uh, read the Pitchfork review on this one. It turns out they're just generally an enigmatic band, man. <laughs> People don't really know who they are, I guess. its I don't know. It's a little weird. But uh, And this album's only going to be out for 99 days. Available to buy and or available on Spotify. I'm a little dubious of this, but I guess I better buy a copy. I don't know. It was really good. I like Salt a lot. Their new album's awesome. Cold Cave. Fate and Seven Lessons. Cold Cave. <laughs> originally a very Sisters of Mercy-esque type goth band that was pretty awesome in their unabashed gothness Uh were rising to prominence through the indie ranks and in sort of this goth revival thing headed up by the likes of Gibby and Ryan at Deus Records, uh, suffered a severe setback about eight years ago when they tried to bring Boyd Rice on tour. <laughs> and all their shows got canceled because Boyd Rice is basically a Nazi. I knew Boyd back in the day. He had a child with the aforementioned Lisa that I was talking about that's going to be editing my book. Uh, they were separated by the time I knew Lisa, but he would pop in once in a while because of the child. I uh, also used to listen to non and his band Non and Such before I realized how racist he was. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was probably not a wise move to bring that guy on tour in the 21st century. Uh, so cold cave kind of laid low for a while. They, they've sort of moved on. They have been slowly rebounding. You know, they realized their mistake, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, the new album is pretty good. It's much more unabashedly like there's one song that sounds exactly like temptation by new order. There's one song that sounds exactly like Depeche Mode, but I really liked temptation by new order and Depeche Mode. So I really like this record. I'm into it. The new Modest Mouse, The Golden Casket Very good record, kind of shocking, amazing I Sort of had given up on Modest Mouse Didn't like the last few records I mean, if I'm being honest, I haven't liked anything since the second record You think I would have liked The Moon in Antarctica Being moody and goth But nope, I liked old Like, talking shit about Pretty Sunset And Custom Concern and Drama Mean era Modest Mouse, never really cared beyond that uh, Kept buying the records But, yeah Anyway, this one's awesome, uh, mostly It's definitely better than the last several. I'm really into it. The Golden Casket, strong recommend. (laughs) Then I listened to all four albums of the new fucked up album, Year of the Horse, which was the weirdest thing I've listened to in quite some time. Like Flaming Lips level weirdness, probably weirder. It is a four LP rock opera about a horse. It is every musical style under the sun in one record. It is really weird, and I was really into it, and I strongly recommend Year of the Horse, Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4 by Fucked Up. Listened to the new Garbage album, No Gods, No Masters. Had some songs I liked, sounded like garbage, pretty into it. Came with a bonus disc on Spotify. Uh, it has a cover of Starman, and because of the night, those are both fantastic. The because of the night cover with Garbage has screaming females on it, which is just wonderful. Uh, has some good. The album itself has some good moody goth tunes, which is always my favorite part of the last few Garbage albums. Uh, even though Our Love Is Doomed off of their previous last record was my favorite song by far. Um, but yeah, you know it's Garbage. It's awesome. I'm excited. We're, they're supposedly playing this summer. We're supposed to go see them. We shall see. It's outdoors. Probably we'll probably pull it off. Uh, Olafur Arnalds, uh, Icelandic uh, classical composer, has a new EP, "When We're Born," that's uh, more of the stunning minimalist Icelandic classical music you have come to know and expect, know and expect and love from Olafar Arnalds. I enjoyed it. Uh, Millie Ripperton. Never heard of her. Everybody loved her. I didn't know about her. One of those bands, acts, artists, musicians, in this case, a woman vocalist that you feel like you should have known about your whole life and you didn't. I didn't. I was one of those people. I learned about her from an essay. A friend wrote or not a friend, a person wrote. <laughs> uh, for why is this interesting? This Slack group and email newsletter. I am a member of anyway. That's what she was writing about. That she just discovered Minnie Riperton as well, and how she like wish she always knew about her. Blah blah blah. And I didn't know about her, so I would not listen to her. Listen to "Come to My Garden," fantastic record. Turns out she's my Rudolph's mom. Didn't know that. Uh, anyway, all very interesting. Minnie, Minnie, Millie Ripperton is awesome. <laughs> Millie is also my grandmother's name. I think I was saying Minnie. It's Millie. Uh, yeah, I I want to know more. I'm just new to this, so you're sitting there thinking like, how do you not know about this? That's how I feel. Uh, and then while I was on the talk talk kick and I discovered those talk talk B sides, I really liked one of them and I wanted to put it on one of my Spotify playlists, but it wasn't on uh, Spotify. The B sides album of Talk Talk is not on Spotify, but what was on Spotify is a two LP tribute album of people making music dedicated to talk talk. Uh, it's a compilation album called The Spirit of Talk Talk. <laughs> Sorry, that's all very hard to say. Uh, and on it was a Nils Fromm cover of the B side that I was looking for. So I just listened to the whole thing It's very good. A lot of the artists I didn't know, and it's really long, but it's actually really interesting because it's like talk, talk music you'd think is really hard to make, but all these people are very competently making music. That sounds exactly like talk, talk, which in a way kind of adds to the brilliance of talk, talk, right? It's not like an Ingve Malsteins kind of thing where you have to be like impossibly talented to make music. That sounds like talk, talk. It was more like mental brilliantist brilliance and genius versus, uh, you know, dexterity with the instruments, (laughs) technical brilliance, right? That was what I took away from the compilation album Spirit of Talk Talk. Yeah, TV finished Loki yesterday. Spoiler alert. Uh, I'll try and keep it spoiler free. Uh, I liked the ending. Uh, some people said it was too talky, not me. I like talk and talk, talk. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was a little disappointed with the plot-wise of the ending. I thought it was well-executed, and I enjoyed most of it. I did not like a cliffhanger aspect to it, and I didn't like the tension they introduced between, you know, the two characters. But overall, I liked it. Uh, I wish there wasn't more. I really, I think maybe it was just me. I thought everybody thought it was going to be a standalone series. I thought it was supposed to be a standalone series, and now there's going to be more, and I'm a little annoyed about that. But uh, it was good. Brick Masters, the Lego reality show featuring Will Arnett as the host. I'm watching that. It's enjoyable. There was not an episode this week. I was very disappointed. Uh, I watched one episode of Cobra Kai. I was like, I need a new show by myself. You know, I'm not really watching a lot of stuff. I finished all my stuff. I couldn't find anything. Everybody's like, well, this was good. So I watched the first episode. I didn't like it. I think it's good. I get why people like it, or I can see how people could like it, but it's just not my thing. I was just like, I don't like this guy. I don't like either of these people. I never even really cared about Karate Kid the movie. (laughs) Uh, I might give it a second chance and watch episode two. I don't know, especially if a bunch of you email me and tell me it was really great. Uh, Bad Batch, I'm still watching. These current Star Wars animation, they really took it up a notch with the last episode. Tying it into the Star Wars lore, and I enjoyed that very much. It was pretty cool. We'll see if that keeps going. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Uh, What else? Oh, yeah, and then Mythbusters. We are watching Mythbusters every day, like two episodes, trying to get through it. There are 14 seasons. It's going to take forever. I'm becoming weirdly obsessed. I read Carrie's book, as we'll talk about in a moment. I spent one day last week three hours reading every entry on the Mythbusters Reddit, <laughs> trying to find out all the backstory about this evil producer. <laughs> and I learned most of it and I feel okay about it now. And I, I think I've, 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 I've worked that obsession through my system. Now we're just watching the show as a show. And, but it was interesting. Emma's like, I too, I, you know, she was the big fan. She, she loved that show. Like when she was younger, I liked it, but I, I wasn't really watching a lot of TV back then, but she tried to watch all as many as she could, you know? And she's like, it's interesting that this time around I'm watching it much more thinking about the production. I'm thinking about their health and safety. I'm thinking about their workplace environment. I'm thinking about, like, how cold it is in that room. I'm thinking about, like, the gender balances. And I was like, me too. That's all I'm really thinking about. She's like, the first time I watched it, I just thought about the science. (laughs) So it's really interesting. We're kind of meta-watching it, uh, almost against our will, because, you know, we live in a postmodern world. That's the way you got to do things. But there are these moments that are uncomfortable, like there's Confederate flags on things, or... Or they, the the other one is they use helium. They use so much helium, and it's fun, and it's like a recurring joke for them, but there's not a lot of helium on the planet, man, and it's, it's just very stressful watching them waste so much helium. <laughs> but it's very good still. Uh, overall, it's still a fantastic show, and, uh, yeah, I feel comfortable with my daughter watching it mostly. Uh yeah that's about it uh we did watch I did watch two movies I'm gonna watch one with me I watched the Tomorrow War that Chris Pratt movie it was okay it had a lot of plot problems I have questions but it served its purpose it was a sci-fi time travel monster movie that I was looking for at that moment and it was probably slightly better than that description would lead you to believe but not by much uh and then we watched Black Widow because I feel like I was missing a big MCU movie in my life and it delivered. I'm still deeply disappointed that Julie Delpy is not in it. Julie Delpy played one of the women in the Red Room in one of the previous Marvel movies where uh, Natasha Romanoff had a flashback to her childhood. Julie Delpy was the matron. I was really hoping she would make a comeback. They didn't recast. They just didn't hit that part of her childhood. They came right up to it but they didn't hit it, so I'm a little disappointed. You know, I want Julie Delpy to get paid. I love her. Uh, but it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Do I have any problems with it? No. I really liked that there weren't any uh, cameos for, uh, from other Avengers and shit like that. It felt like a spy movie, like a Jason Bourne movie, which was what I wanted, and, and it delivered. So, yeah, it was fine. Uh, somebody uh, – oh, um, my, friend, <laughs> my friend Yale didn't like it. He's like, so many plot problems. And he was like <laughs> – <laughs> He's not wrong, <laughs> but I just didn't care. My 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 standards. Once I'm all in and excited to actually watch a movie, which is so rare, once that happens, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I don't care about that right now. Right now, I'm I'm okay with it. In the past, I would have definitely agreed with him. Uh, books. I finished If Then, the Jill Lapore book, uh, how the Simulat Maddox Corporation invented invented the future. If then is the name of the book by Jill Lapore. Uh, I've talked about it a lot, so I don't know if there's much more to say. I found it completely not good as a history of this company or not worthwhile as a history of the Simulmatics company because I reject her fundamental thesis that this company was influential in any way. I accept her thesis that certain members, uh, employees, and founders of this company, specifically Ithiel Dupoul, were hugely influential. I believe that. Uh, but you could have just made this a biography of Ithiel de and it would have been the same as a book that is an overview of the use of technology in elections and polling. I think it is fantastic. Uh, It's not comprehensive. It's, you know, told through the prism of this one company, which is useful, but you know, even looking at the book, uh, what's the term I use eminent critique, even at the book, looking at the book within itself, there are, there are flaws in the thesis. Like she talks extensively about how Simulmatics Corporation had competitors that had as good, if not better products, people like Gallup and Nielsen. But she doesn't give them any credit. It's a little weird. and There's no history of those companies or barely any talk of them. But overall, it's a very interesting history of sort of like one period of politics and technology and early Internet uh, has a lot about BBN which is a Cambridge technology company that I briefly worked with as a freelancer in the early 90s. So, you know, like I feel a little bit of connection to that, like early Internet, beginning of ARPANET, DARPANET, stuff like that. It's very, very historically illuminating, interesting educational book. I just sort of reject the thesis that this particular company meant as much as she says it does. (laughs) But, you know, I guess our opinions can differ about that. And the book can still be very worthwhile because it was. And I'm a huge Jill Lepore fan, so I feel bad even critiquing it in that way. Uh then I read uh Carrie Byron's book. Carrie the host of Mythbusters, one of the hosts of Mythbusters, the only woman host of the show. It's called Crash Test Girl, An Unlikely Experiment in Using the Scientific Method to Answer Life's Toughest Questions. Uh it's really a bit of a self-help book. It's really kind of a great book. If like something I would hand to my daughter when she was like 10, and she could read it and I'd feel really good about it, you know? Uh but I wasn't reading it for self-help. I was reading it to get some dirt about Mythbusters. <laughs> and it did deliver. I had to piece it together with other stuff from the internet, but I got what I needed out of it. And I really like Carrie. She's just a natural. It's really kind of crazy, right? Like just such serendipity. She landed that role. She just, that was her first day at work that they started filming the pilot. She doesn't appear for a couple episodes, but she, uh, you know, well, she eventually goes on to become a host. She's just so good on camera, so charismatic, so compelling, and uh it's just worked out great. They must have been so psyched. They're like, oh, we need three more hosts, Walrus, Walrus, Walrus. That's my Jamie impression. And uh they're like, oh, look, we've got the, these people over there. And it was at the time, well, she was the only one. It was her and Scotty. Scotty's gone. But, you know, and they're like, oh, we'll use them. And they used them, and they were both fantastic hosts. I mean, like, Tori and Byron, uh, Tori. <laughs> Tori and Grant, they picked, you know, they knew already from ILM, from the effects industry, and they're like, they would be good, and they brought them in, they were sort of picked for it, but Carrie, they just found, and they're like, let's try her, and it worked, and she was fantastic, and I, that's a great story, I love people that just fall into amazing things like that. Uh, yeah, So good book. Now I'm reading Concrete Planet, the strange and fascinating story of the world's most common man-made material by Robert Corland. This was recommended to me by my friend Felix because uh, he's obsessed with concrete and has read like five books about concrete and I wanted to know more about concrete specifically after the collapse of that building in Florida, reinforced concrete, the whole problem with rebar and water and cracks and expansion. The uh, anecdote about falling water, the Frank Lloyd Wright house that costs less than a million dollars to make but when they had to fix all the concrete it cost 30 million dollars because our whole world is built out of reinforced concrete and it's basically garbage is the sense i'm getting but i don't know enough to talk about it yet i'm only i'm still in the egyptian era no i just moved to the croatian era no i'm sorry the cretan era Minoan that's what it is Crete (laughs) the island of Crete the era after the Egyptians that's the Minoan era right just moved to the Minoan era in the book so I don't really know about reinforced concrete yet we're still on limestone and early concrete but it's a great book I'm super into it so strong recommend so far That's about it for this week thank you so much for listening i thought that was gonna be a lot longer i really felt like i was babbling a lot but uh it's been fun drop a line let me know how you're doing i hope you're holding up okay uh yeah let me know what's going on in your life and i will talk to you guys in a week or two okay two weeks not a week all right cool yes over and out bye